Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello and welcome to this Friday edition of The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond. Do as I say, not as I do. Have you ever found yourself in that position? It can be much easier to tell someone else what they should or should not do rather than hold yourself to that same standard. Now, if you're a regular listener here to The Inner Life, uh, first of all, uh, glad to have you with us here on this Friday. I'm Josh Raymond, and you've probably heard me mention that my wife and I, we have nine children. And I've seen this sort of thing, this do as I say, not as I do. I've seen this play out with most of my kids, mainly that they want to be the boss of their next youngest sibling, telling them how to behave, even if they themselves aren't doing what they're preaching to that sibling. And it seems like it's usually in that age range of maybe around 5 to 12 years old. This seems pretty common that this happens with our kids. Our 11-year-old, Sam, he does this fairly regularly. He's starting to grow out of it. He's kind of on that edge of, okay, it's starting to work its way out of his behavior. But if we give Sam, him and his siblings, some different chores around the house to help clean up, Sam, a lot of times in the past, has been more interested in making sure his two younger sisters, that they are staying on task more than he worries about doing his own chore as well as he should. And then my wife or I, we have to start getting involved. We have to point this out to him. Hey, Sam, Sam, come on. Are you done with sweeping the kitchen floor? No, then don't worry about what your sisters are doing. You need to focus on your work. When he was younger, Sam might have even tried at that point to try just make this case of why he needed to get involved with his sister. You know, she wasn't doing the work the right way or she was taking too long or whatever it might be. But again, the older he's gotten, the more he started to realize it's just better for him to do his own work, get that done first and to do it well, not to race through it, you know, not to do some sort of lousy job, just try and get by with the bare minimum. And then when he's done with his task, he can worry about other things. Sometimes he still might get involved with his sister, try and be a little bit bossy, but more than, you know, not what usually happens now is he finishes his work and he'd rather just go and do the things he wants to do. He'd rather go read a book or play a video game, ride his bike, go play with his friends, whatever it might be. Those things are so much better than staying around just to be able to critique the work of his sisters. And I like to see that attitude finally come through with the kids when they get to that age where they realize that life really is better when you don't worry so much about what somebody else is doing, but you just do your work as well as you can. And then after that's done, you get to go out and spend your free time doing the things that you really enjoy. 
Well, this Sunday in the gospel reading at Mass, we're going to hear about a woman who was caught in adultery, and she's brought before Jesus. And the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they want Jesus to condemn her. And they're trying to trap Jesus in this moment. Well, then Jesus, he gives this famous response that most of us have probably heard again and again. Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. So today here on The Inner Life, we want to look at what Jesus says about judging others and how we can know when it's best not to worry about what others are doing, but when we should just focus on ourselves. But then again, there are those times where we do need to exercise judgment. And at other times, Jesus' words, things where he says, like, judge not lest ye be judged, those can get twisted around by people. They can be used to try and justify sinful behavior or seek approval for sinful activity. So how should we understand what Jesus is saying when he tells us not to judge others? Well, that's what we want to talk about today, and we're going to do that with the help of our spiritual director, Father Sam Kachuba, is back with us once again. Father Sam is a priest in the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut, the pastor of St. Pius X Parish in Fairfield, Connecticut. Father Sam, welcome back to The Inner Life. Uh, You must be really excited about the news that Pope Francis is going to be visiting uh, Boston there in September. Is he really? I didn't even know that yet. That's great. (laughs) Well, that's my April Fool's prank for you there, Father. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, sorry, I could hear mind. such I, excitement in your voice that. right there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's all right. Well, Father, again, welcome to the program. Thanks for talking about, me. yeah, yeah, talking about judgment today. And um, I, I mentioned, you know, the Sunday Gospel reading. We have, this comes from St. John's Gospel account. And I think there are a couple of things that might be good to highlight in this. I gave a real brief kind of synopsis of it. But first of all, we've got the scribes and the Pharisees. When they bring this woman before Jesus, they end up saying, and this is a quote from them, that she was caught in the very act of committing adultery, in the very act. And it almost sounds like this woman might have been set up as a pawn used by the religious leaders, not because they're interested in you know, her sanctity, her purity, or, you know, whoever the man she was with, righteous living of their fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. But rather, it sounds like they, it might suggest in the gospel here that they were trying to trap Jesus, where he's going to have to either condone killing this woman or condone her actions and go against the law of Moses. And so they want to discredit him here. Am I reading too much into those words of the scribes and Pharisees? I don't think so. Uh, what you see there is, is actually pretty clear. It says they said this to test him. Um, they wanted to, to do that. So you're absolutely right that they, they wanted to test him. Now, uh, had they set her up for adultery, I think it's a worthwhile question speculatively. Um, the, the particular story doesn't give us that, that exact detail, but most certainly it tells us that they were trying to set Jesus up. You're absolutely right. They wanted to find a way to see that he would either contradict the law, that he would ignore the law of Moses, uh, or that he would, uh, he would do something uh, that seemed to support their approach to how they lived out the law, how they interpreted the law. All right. So another area here that I think might be good to talk about for a moment, too, another detail that John doesn't necessarily give us, and it can be a mystery here in this story, 
is Jesus, when the woman's brought to him, before he responds, he bends down and he writes something in the dirt or the sand there on the ground. He stands up. He makes that comment, let the one among you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone. Then he bends down again and starts to write something on the ground again with his finger. Do we have any indication? Is there anything that might give us insight as to what Jesus may have written there? You know, that, that's one of those those great scenes in Scripture that uh, there's because there's nothing else said about it, there's been all kinds of interpretation of, of what it means. There, there are some who have written and said that as Jesus bent down and wrote in the sand, what he was doing was writing the sins of the people who were around her holding those stones, that he was, he was writing their sins and kind of manifesting them so they would see that they were not without sin. Uh, there's others that would suggest that there's actually sort of a, a creative act happening there. So Jesus, uh, Jesus bends down and begins to write in, in the dirt. So it's sort of the hand of God, the finger of God over creation, uh, making things, creating things. And then as, as we get to the end of the story and Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, there's a sense of recreation for this this woman that she's been made new and so it's jesus as he's writing in the dirt uh is is sort of recreating uh the whole scene of of creation for her and and renewing mm-hmm. her her very being uh, but there's it, it's a fascinating little detail because he bends down and writes in the dirt it's the only time we see him do anything like that in all of scripture um and so there's there's not one one interpretation only. There's there's lots of different things that you can that you can say about it. And I think all of them are, are kind of fun to speculate. What what was he doing? Why did he write in the in the dirt that way? But I like the idea of of the the finger of God touching the earth again. Mm. Well, and I think also as you're saying, it's it's fun to kind of speculate as to what he might have written. I think that's also a great. Uh, it's a great practice that we try and use so often in meditative prayer, like with the rosary. We try and enter into those moments of the life of Mary or Jesus and what's happening there. And the more that we can kind of enter into those moments, ask those questions, it really makes those moments more real for us, even though we're here 2,000 years later. It helps bring them to life. Yeah, and entering into that sort of imaginative prayer allows you to, to put yourself in the scene a little bit. One of the things that I, I really like to do when reading a, a passage of Scripture is when a question comes up, like, what was happening? Um, how did they how did they catch her in the act of adultery? Or, or where was the man that she was committing adultery with? When those kinds of questions come up, uh, I like to just look at the at the story itself. What, what does the Gospel give to us? What's actually there in the text? Because often the what's in the text is is really going to give us the, the best insight. And the other things would just be sort of our, our speculation. And so as much as it could be a fun exercise to, to ask those questions of the things that aren't told to us in the story, really drilling into what's on the page, uh, really yeah, drilling sure. into what the Word actually says, is going to give us sometimes the deepest insight into what's, into what's going on. Well, so let's talk about one other thing that neither of us have mentioned yet. Uh, I love that thought that um, uh, the word you used, that Jesus, he takes this woman, he doesn't condemn her, he recreates her. Hmm. And there at the end of this, you know, it says, Jesus straightened up. He says to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she replies, no one, sir. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. But right after that, after he offers that pardon, that forgiveness, he's merciful, 
Um, and I think most people have probably in one way or another heard that line that's earlier, let the one among you who was without sin be the first to cast a stone. I rarely hear people quote the last line in this passage. <laughs> and that's where after he, he says, neither do I condemn you, he says, go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. And this is where people, I think, want to stop quoting Jesus. You know, it, I, sure. I, can look at, I can look at, you know, don't throw a stone at me. You need to take care of yourself. You know, people shouldn't be judging me. I like that Jesus doesn't, you know, judge me and condemn me for my behavior, but I really don't like it when he tells me to change my behavior, I, hmm. that I can't sin anymore. You know, that's the part that people don't want to talk about. Absolutely. They, they like the idea of the merciful Jesus, uh, and that that Jesus offers this gift of forgiveness. And they should, by the way. They should like that, that idea of, of Jesus. Yeah, it's very That's attractive. exactly what he's, what he's doing. But what's also so important here is that Jesus, in offering her that gift of mercy, also gives her a, a mission now. Go in and live your life differently. Now, the, the forgiveness, the mercy that he offers her is not conditioned. It's not, if you sin no more, then your sin will be forgiven. It's forgiven. Done. He has forgiven her. But now he's also telling her, go, sin no more. Don't, don't fall back into this. Because now this, this woman has confronted, uh, perhaps more radically than most people, the real consequence of her sin. She's been, she's been put into that situation of very literally almost being stoned to death. So she recognizes the death that sin brings into her life. And now that she knows the consequences, Jesus is able to say with even greater credibility, go sin no more. I, I will not condemn you for what you've done, um, but I'm also not saying that what you did was not sinful. Go mm-hmm. sin no more, because now you, you see what the consequence is, but know my mercy, know my love for you. Yeah, there, the, there's the, another... Yeah. Go ahead, Father. Well, I was going to say, there's, there's another, another part of this that I think is, is amazing. Uh, one by one, beginning with the eldest, they, they walked away, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. The woman was standing, then it says, Jesus looked up and straightened up. So, Jesus is still down on the ground writing. The woman is standing there, and he looks up to her and says, has no one condemned you? And so just, just think of the, the posture there, that this woman caught in adultery, uh, unnamed, this unnamed woman caught in adultery, having fallen profoundly in sin, now stands before Jesus, who's the judge, who's the, the true judge. They've brought her here to before Jesus to be judged. And what does Jesus do? He makes himself very small. He gets down on the ground and, and writes on the ground. Uh, and then it's, he looks up at her and asks, has she been condemned? He, and then he rises and stands and looks her in the eye and says, neither do I condemn you. So there's a, a certain sort of image of, of Eve, right? Eve who fell in the beginning and became the mother of all the living, right? Eve who fell in the beginning. And now Jesus, the incarnate God, very much related to Eve, but he's now going to restore Eve. So he looks up to her as man, but then he stands and looks at her eye to eye as, as God gazing into the eyes of his creation. Mm-hmm. Neither do I condemn you, now go sin no more. So there's, there's a, a beautiful posture ha- that happens here. That's, I think, again, it's, that's why looking at the text is so important, because we could, we could gloss over that and focus just on the fact that he said, neither do I condemn you. But it's, there's a symbolic thing that's happening here that's really important. 
As you're saying this too, Father, it makes me think of where Jesus tells his apostles, no longer do I call you slaves or servants, but I call you friend, and that he is elevating us. It, it kind of reminds me again of what we hear during Mass, that Christ humbled himself to share in our humanity so that right. we could share in his divinity. Yes, exactly. And and that humility where, where Jesus washes the feet of the apostles, right? He comes, he comes down to our level uh, and yet calls us to something so much better, so much higher. He doesn't leave us in that sort of lowly state that we that we occupy. He doesn't leave us in that, that place of sin and shame. So the woman is standing before him ashamed and fearful, and he doesn't leave her standing afraid, fearful, ashamed. Instead, he he speaks to her with this with this tremendous humility. So he's modeling for her what what the human heart should be, humble before God, humble in the face of our, our sinfulness by his own posture. But then he's also giving her that, that tenderness that God the Father has for us, that, that kindness, that goodness. And so he looks at her with, with great love and says, neither do I condemn you, but go sin no more. What you've done, without being mean or without harping on it, he's, he's pointing out very clearly that what she's done was sinful, but he loves her nevertheless. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, I think that's a real challenge for a lot of us that maybe have been in the church for a long time, is we can find ourselves wanting to, especially in, in a culture that we live in now where the, um, the prevalence of trying to make certain lifestyle sinful actions and behaviors acceptable, we can find ourselves wanting to say, no, we need to call a spade a spade. You know, we, we need to be direct and honest about what sin is and, and also what is not sin. But the mercy, I think, a lot of times can be left out of that, that we want to just, we, we find ourselves maybe falling into that same category with the scribes and the Pharisees. You, you need to realize what you're doing is wrong. This is sinful. But we don't then follow up with, you know what, we have a God who won't condemn you for that. You need to stop that behavior, but you, there's so much more that, that is available to you. And you can be so much happier if you are united with the one who has created you for relationship, ultimately with him. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of times we we get caught up in the, the social aspect of it. Um, if I if I say that this thing or this action is, is wrong, am I going to be accepted? Are, are people going to like me? Will I lose will I lose friends or popularity? Um, but you're right. That need to call a spade a spade is, is very much there. Um, it, I think that one of the the great images though that we have to to help us understand what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live this out, is is actually in in parenthood, if you look at family life, um, you have nine kids. And if, if one of your kids is slapping the other one in the face, uh, you're not going to just say, well, I can't possibly judge them. It's, it's perfectly okay. I have to let this go. You're going to tell them, no, it's wrong to, to hit your, your brother or your sister. And you have to tell them that. Uh, you're required to, but that doesn't change how much you love them nor does it change your, your desire to see them happy and, and whole. But you do have to tell them what they're doing is, is wrong. You do have to teach them that, that they can't just hit their siblings, right? 
But then if ever, and I've seen this happen a lot with, with parents, if ever a parent does something or forgets to do something, one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen is when, when a father apologizes to his children or a mother apologizes to her children to say, I, I realize that, that when, I, when I said that or when I did that or when I forgot to do that, it hurt you and I'm, I'm sorry. And then they're modeling for their, for their child what it is to repent of having done something that was wrong. And then the kids learn not only how not to do the wrong thing, but they also learn how to apologize for doing the wrong thing. Our spiritual director today is Father Sam Kachuba. He's a priest in the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Today we're talking about judging others and how we understand Jesus's words of how we can show mercy, those times where maybe we do have to exercise judgment, other times where it's not necessarily our place. Do you find it easy to be judgmental of other people in your life? What has helped you to be less critical and to look at those around you with love? And how has experiencing the mercy of God in your own life, how has that helped you to be more merciful towards others? And you can call in and join the program, 888-914-9149 is our phone number here. Maybe you just have a question uh, about this upcoming Sunday's Gospel reading or about other places where Jesus talks about not judging others. And you'd like to talk with Father Sam Kachuba, 888-914-9149, or email us, innerlife@relevantradio.com. And Father, let's look at one other thing when we come back here in just a moment. Uh, another area where Jesus talks about judging, um, it's in... Uh, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, stop judging that you may not be judged. We'll pick that up right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Relevant Radio runs on horsepower, your horsepower. Donate any vehicle and keep our stations running. Join in with hundreds of other listeners who have given their used vehicles at relevantradio.com slash car. Back to the inner life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. So glad to have you with us here on this Friday edition of the Inner Life, talking with Father Sam Kachuba, a priest in the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut, today about how we understand the words of Jesus where he tells us not to judge others. What does that really mean? What does that look like? And how about you? Is, is that one of those areas in your life where maybe you struggle? trying not to be so judgmental of others? Is it something where you need maybe a little assistance, a little advice on how to let go of that judgmental attitude? And you'd like to speak with Father Sam, you can call in at 888-914-9149, Father, it's been our first segment of the hour talking about that passage that we'll hear coming up this Sunday at Mass, and that's out of John's Gospel. We also have in the seventh chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, this is the last third or so of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has this section where he tells us not to judge others. And he also then says the way in which we judge, this is how we will be, or, or the way we judge others, this is how we will ourselves be judged. And he starts talking about other things, you know, take the wooden beam out of your own eye before you try and remove the little splinter from your brother's eye. So there's things that he talks about here. Um, I, I guess one of the first things maybe we can talk about when he is saying the way that you judge others, that's how you're going to be judged. 
the measure with which you measure will be measured out to you. Is God talking about kind of, is Jesus referring to something that will happen here in this lifetime? Or is he referring more to at the end of our life when we face judgment before God? Or is it kind of a both-and situation? I think a both-and situation is a good way to look at it. I mean, on a practical level, just if, if we look at how we socialize with people, if if I'm constantly critical of you, then chances are you're going to be critical right back. <laughs> You'll be critical right back to me, because the way that we treat other people uh, ends up being the way that, that we're treated by others. So there's a practical aspect of this. But really, the most important piece of what Jesus is speaking about here is that eternal sense of judgment, the spiritual sense of judgment, that if, if I am put, putting myself in a position where I feel that I have the authority or the ability to judge another person's soul, and I'm, I'm judging them all the time, uh, then the harsh judgment that I'm doling out within my own heart, or even verbally and, and uh, in, in public, that's the same sort of judgment that I'll, I'll receive in heaven or when I stand before the Lord at the end of my life. Uh, there's going to be a, a, the same kind of judgment, the same approach that I gave to other people on a spiritual level will be what I have then, we can say, earned from God. It's basically I've been asking God to judge me just as harshly by judging other people. Hmm. Well, and that goes back to how he opens the Sermon on the Mount, one of the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So we we kind of have both sides. If you're going to yeah. be judgmental, you'll be judged. But if you're merciful, you'll be shown mercy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's also talk for a moment here about that. Um, it, it's kind of a similar theme that we get here with that little allegorical, you know, get the... Uh, big giant wooden beam out of your own eye before you try and assist your brother or your sister in removing the little splinter from their eye. Jesus is really telling us we've got to get everything in our own lives in order and you know take care of ourselves before we start worrying about anybody else, which kind of goes back to what we're going to hear him say to those scribes and Pharisees. Let those without sin be the first to throw a stone. This is... Uh, <laughs> easier said than done, I think, in a lot of times, Father, where it's so easy to look at somebody else and say, well, I can see that clear, clearly in their life. Part of this might be we, we don't think that we're necessarily doing anything all that wrong, or we might not even have a good sense of what we are doing that is problematic in our own life. Um, how can we recognize where maybe we have that giant wooden beam in our own eye, but we're just oblivious to it? It's something that escapes sure. our own notice. Yeah. Well, it's the, uh, you're absolutely right. There's, there's this, this reality. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, don't take the splinter out of your brother's eye, or don't try to help him. But just first, you've got to remove the beam that's in your own eye then you're going to be able to take the, the splinter out of your brother's eye. So there's, there's a part of this where Jesus actually wants us to help our brothers and sisters to grow and to improve and to stop doing things that are, are bad or to, to correct their faults. But it always begins first for us. And so when he's telling us to remove the beam from our own eyes, this is that, that chance for us to really take a good, 
solid look at ourselves and a real honest assessment or even sometimes to receive the honest assessment of others. Is there some beam in my eye that I'm, I'm not aware of? And often you're right. It's because we're, we're blind to it. We simply don't don't realize that it's there. You know, they say that you, you, your eyes are actually always seeing your nose, but they've gotten so used to it that they don't even register that your nose is on your face anymore. <laughs> we're the same way right. with a lot of our sins. We don't notice them. We're, we're so used to them that we don't even pay, pay much attention to them. So there's a few things I think that are important. The first is just when we look at ourselves, you know, when, when you get up in the morning and, and you see yourself in the mirror, we need to be able to recognize uh, the sinner that's looking back at us. And, and this might sound really negative, and, and I don't mean it in the, like the worst possible, let's beat ourselves up sort of way. But very simply, when I look at myself in the mirror, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I am an imperfect man, and I know that I'm someone who's in need of mercy. And I, I have to always have that in mind. Again, not to beat myself up, but just as the reminder, I, I need to know my need for mercy. I need to recognize that there are sometimes things that I, I don't see. And just keeping that in mind, cultivating, that's really what Jesus is telling us. If, you know, throughout the gospel, he's reminding us that there are things that you're, you don't even realize. Just be humble. Humble yourself. So I think of the, the story that he tells of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector who go to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee stands up and prays to himself, talks to himself about how wonderful he is, whereas the tax collector recognizes, Lord, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. When we're able to recognize that and keep that attitude in our own hearts, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I may not know all my sins. I may not always be aware of my faults, but I know that I'm a sinner. Start there. And we humble ourselves. So cultivating that, that humility before God and that humility even for ourselves, whatever good I might be doing, I'm still a sinner. And when we cultivate that in a healthy, balanced way, then that allows us to see, all right, here's a spot where somebody else is is struggling or where somebody else is sinning. I can recognize their sin. I can see what they're doing. But instead of thinking I'm so much better than they are, no, now because I, I recognize my own sinfulness all the time, because I'm, I'm constantly aware of my need for God's mercy and thankful for the gift of God's mercy, now when I see this person in front of me who is very obviously sinning, the beam in my eye isn't so, so much in the way. Instead, I can actually see clearly to help them to to remove the beam, uh, to remove the splinter. But even so, I still need to recognize that sometimes there's a beam in my own eye. I think another part of this is yeah. receptivity. So if somebody comes and says something to me, corrects me, or says, hey, you've been doing this, I've got to be ready to receive it instead of automatically getting defensive about my own my own position or my own action. That's actually a good point. I, I want to go back really quick to one thing you said. You know, you, as you're saying, I look at myself in the mirror and I have that recognition, that realization of who I really am, that I'm a sinner in need of God's mercy. Not that we beat ourselves up or get down on ourselves. But I, 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 on the other side of that, I think it's that we don't elevate ourselves too much either. You know, that we have a true realistic look at who we are not too good not too bad that it's right. just okay this is exactly who i am and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to make myself out to be something i'm not and when we have that true uh reflection of ourselves that we can see in the mirror that's where we can probably do more good to help others around us rather than <laughs> have them look yeah, at us and oh. say, what, what are you talking about? You know, look, you need to get your, your own act together first. 
Of course, yeah. And how often is that is that exactly what's happening? Somebody is somebody speaking against somebody else, but totally unaware of their own of their own flaws. But how much more credible are we when we're obviously aware of our own shortcomings and our and our own failures, but we can then very kindly speak to somebody else and say that that's wrong. Or at the very least, you know, sometimes you get into an argument with somebody and you're you're telling them this is this is wrong, you can't be doing that. And they say, but you do this. Well if I can then receive that in that moment, say, you know what, you're right, I do that. But you're still you're what you're doing is still wrong. I recognize that my own fault. It changes the dynamic. So instead of me putting myself higher, making myself out to be somehow better than you or better than this other person, now instead I'm I'm a person who's aware of my own sinfulness, but aware of my own sinfulness. I'm also able to point to you and say, let's let's work on this maybe together, or at least to say, just as much as I know my own need for for change, for conversion, I see it in you also, and I want to call you to that. Talking with Father Sam Kachuba today here on The Inner Life, and also taking your phone calls at 888-914-9149, as we talk about how we understand Jesus' words of not judging others, and maybe you find it really easy to be judgmental of people in your life. What has helped you in your journey, in your spiritual walk, to be less judgmental, less critical of those around you? How have you been able to have that honest look at yourself, recognizing how you do need God's mercy, and when you experience that mercy of God in your own life, how has that helped you to then extend that same mercy to others that you encounter day in and day out? 888-914-9149. Father, we've got Elaine who's calling in from Santa Barbara, California. Hi, Elaine. Thanks for calling into The Inner Life. Hi. Hi. Um, Hi, I'm listening to this, and I'm hoping I'm hi there. Thank you for some advice. I was at confession and just the other day, and he <clears throat> told me that I should um, work on humility. And so I was thinking that I must have coming must have come off as judgmental about uh, issues that I have with things that are going on, that things that I see, and things that are happening in my life. And I I wonder um, about that. I wonder how do you practice humility in terms of judgment. Mm. Elaine, that's it's a, it's a great question. Um, first, humility, I think, is is one of the virtues that can be hardest for us to cultivate because we pride, uh, pride, the negative sort of pride, is something that we just kind of cling to because it, it makes us feel safe and secure. Uh, it's, it's a way for us to sort of defend ourselves. But humility, humility means making ourselves vulnerable, and so it can be it can be difficult to practice. But what I would suggest for for just that growth in humility is just every day, sort of the the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, and just asking for that that gift of God's mercy, and then that helps to cultivate in your heart the sense of. I recognize that I'm, I'm not perfect. I don't have everything going perfectly. I don't have it all together. Um, so really kind of cultivating in your own heart just that desire to, to be with God, to be, to be merciful. And then also, as you interact with people, as you're talking to people, um, if you see a flaw in someone, do you see that flaw also in yourself? Or do you see that that's something that maybe you once struggled with? And can you be thankful to God for, for what he's done to help you to get past that particular difficulty or, or sin? Uh, can you recognize in your own heart, your own life, a, a need for, for some conversion? And then ask God to be like, if you pray for the person 
who you see is struggling or who you see has done something wrong or is, is doing something. Pray for them. Ask God to give them light. Then it's not you who has to give them that light. The last thing I would say is, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the prayer, the litany of humility, but the litany of humility is a very, very powerful and very challenging prayer. And I recommend it all the time to people. Um, I keep it in my breviary at all times, and I, and I try to use it whenever I can. It's such an important, important prayer uh, just to ask the Lord to give us that grace to to be humble. And humility is something we practice. So if you're not living it out perfectly by tomorrow, don't worry. <laughs> it's a lifelong practice and something really good for us. And Elaine, I would also heartily give a, a, a second recommendation to that litany of humility. It is very difficult to pray through um, to mean everything, but it has some it has some moments where you'll say, "Wow, um, do I really want this in my own life? Do I really <laughs> believe what I'm praying here?" You know what I'm talking about, Father? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's. I think the last line is one of the ones that stands out to me the most, that others may be more holy than I, provided that I become as holy as I need to be, but that yeah. I, am, I, I, I am wanting the better things for everybody else around me, um, that I can be the last, you know, that others may increase, that I may decrease. There's so many lines in that, and uh, it really is, it's, it's a challenging prayer, Father. But um, let me throw out the phone number again here, 888-914-9149, if you'd like to call in and speak with Father Sam Kachuba today, as we're talking about understanding what Jesus means in how we shouldn't judge others. Uh, let's also talk, Father, coming up next here, in just a moment, let's talk about the difference between judging others, but then admonishing the sinner. It's one of the spiritual works of mercy and something that we are called to do. And while the two might seem very closely related, maybe we can talk about uh, what the difference is there and help us understand when it is appropriate, where it is appropriate, uh, when we're called to be that person admonishing somebody in sin. And we'll talk about that next here on The Inner Life. And again, our studio line, 888-914-9149. You're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Back to the inner life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hope your Friday is off to a good start here. I'm Josh Raymond, our spiritual director for the hour, Father Sam Kachuba, talking about the words that Jesus speaks in regards to judging others. How do we understand what he says in those passages where he tells us not to judge others, not to condemn others? And what about those times where we do need to confront somebody when they are in sin? And we're also taking your calls, your questions at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Father, last segment, we talked about that passage in St. Matthew's Gospel from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has those words, judge not lest ye be judged. A lot of times we can find those words being taken and twisted around, you know, that somebody will say, 
well, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? You know, Jesus says we shouldn't judge other people, so you shouldn't judge me. And then that kind of attitude is used to try and justify or to gain approval, gain acceptance of some sort of sinful behavior or some sort of sinful action. Can, can we talk about the difference between judging someone and I mentioned that phrase, admonishing the sinner, admonishing mm-hmm. somebody, bringing to their attention when they are engaged in truly sinful activity in their life. Not exactly the same thing. might sound like they kind of cross over, you know, overlap a little bit here. But can you offer us some clarification on the difference between these two? I think here what we're dealing with is a little bit of the limitation of our of our ability to speak. It's, it's a limitation of vocabulary. Uh, we tend to use judgment to cover a whole variety of different things. And understanding what, what Jesus is speaking about in the gospel when he speaks of this kind of judgment, uh, he's speaking to the the, the judgment of, of the soul, uh, that somehow uh, by recognizing that this action is sinful, I have the ability to then judge the, the state of this person. Um, notice in the story of the woman caught in adultery, they bring her before Jesus so that to see what he would say about her, about her on a personal level, on a moral level, on a spiritual level. What does he say about the state of her soul? Whereas Jesus does not condemn her for the sin she committed, right? And so judgment, when Jesus tells us not to judge, he's speaking about we have no business judging the soul of another person. That's between them and and God. But when speaking about sin, Jesus tells us that it's a good thing, in fact, to call someone back from from their way, to teach someone not to sin is is a very good thing. It's a mercy. And in that way, we're actually cooperating with, with with God's gift. And this is something that's consistent in Scripture. The one who calls a sinner back from their way cancels a multitude of sins, right? And so to to tell someone that what they're doing is sinful or harmful is, is something really good. I was just thinking about this. I remember working with uh, uh, the missionaries of charity one summer, and they had a, a homeless man who was, was living with them. And they had the doctor come and to examine him and, and to take care of him. And he was dealing with a, a respiratory issue, and the doctor told him, you have to stop smoking. And he said to me afterwards, he said, I don't know why I should stop smoking. I'm pretty sure the doctor smokes. And <laughs> It was sort of, who, who is he to tell Yeah, you lose smoking. credibility, sure. Yeah. yeah, and I said, well, sure, the doctor probably shouldn't be smoking, but at the same time, the doctor isn't sick right now, and you are, and if you want to get past the sickness, stop smoking. The doctor's telling you the truth, even if he's not observing it himself, he's still telling you the truth. And actually, there's another thing that Jesus tells us. He says, do what the Pharisees and, and the scribes tell you, but don't oh, follow sure. their example. Uh, whatever mm-hmm. they say, it's they're, they're do, as, do as I say, not as I do, right? <laughs> to come back yep. to the way we started the show. Um, so admonishing the sinner, telling them this is something that's wrong, doesn't mean that I'm putting myself morally above them. If I say this is wrong, this kind of behavior is wrong, this particular sin is wrong, it doesn't mean that I think that I'm so much better than you because I don't do that. It simply means I'm, I'm acknowledging the fact that this is this is the wrong behavior to take on. Don't do this. Um, I have no business judging you on a personal level. That's not for me. Um, I don't know the state of, of your soul before before God, but I do know that this action or this behavior endangers the state of your soul. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So as you're talking about this too, I mean this is this is a very brief kind of. Uh, concise explanation you've given on this, but 
those kinds of conversations can go in so many ways. How do you think that we can approach that? Um, and maybe we can talk about this in a minute, too, if we're even the right person. But let, let's talk first about if we are engaging somebody in a conversation where we're trying to, in a loving, compassionate way, point out that this is something that harms you. Maybe it even harms other people that you know they're interacting with, but it also puts your soul in jeopardy. How do we present that in a way that doesn't make them resentful, doesn't drive them further away from Christ, further from the church, um, so that we can have, we can help them get to a point of repentance and conversion? Yeah, I think the first thing is always just the the basic human skills, human interaction, right? So if if I'm in a position where I'm I'm getting agitated and I'm I'm, I'm raising my voice and stuff, guess I'm not doing a good job. I'm I'm not doing my job right there. I've already lost the battle, and I'm going to drive you away. Um, and it, it, so if if I'm too too caught up in that, I, I know I'm not doing a good job, and that happens to me, and it's happened to me many times, even even recently, and it's it's a little embarrassing, right? Um, I lose my cool, and I, I can't have that. I'm going to drive people away if I do that. But if I can sit and talk with you, and with my tone, with my posture. Um, and even just with what you know about me, especially if I've if we have a relationship, if you're a person who I know and I'm friends with and we can talk about this, then I can speak to you compassionately. If you're a total stranger coming to me to talk to me, um, sometimes it's actually easier to muster up compassion for a total stranger, precisely because I, I don't know you. I've got I've got no no history with you, so I'm just going to speak to you very gently and very kindly. So it's a, it's about tone of voice, it's about posture, um, but then it's also about honesty. Just being honest and and logical, and not getting caught up. And this this might sound kind of strange, but like not getting caught up in the emotions surrounding some of it. But just to say, right. we're just speaking about what's what's what the reality is. So keeping both feet on the ground, being realistic, and encouraging realism. The more we can encourage people to be realistic, um, the the more we can kind of draw them into the, the the real, more concrete understanding. A lot of times, we get caught up in the what ifs. What if there's this kind of person in this situation? You know, you walk into a, a classroom of, of middle school kids, for example, and they, they want to ask you about sins. What if I do this? Will I go to hell? And they come up with a million what ifs. I said, have any of you actually done anything like that? They say, no, of course not. So, what are you worried about? <laughs> you know, so helping them to stay grounded, helping, helping people to stay, stay really rooted and keeping that conversation on the ground with that compassion. I'm, I am right here talking to you. And I am an imperfect person, but I'm telling you from my, even from my own experience, sometimes you want to call a sinner back, share a little bit of your own sin, a little bit of your own sinful past and the the way that it's hurt you. Um, Share a little bit of your own experience and the things that you've seen happen as a result of of sin. Uh, For example, if somebody's having an intervention uh, with with somebody, uh, often it's to say, this is how your action actually affects me, or this is how I've seen this action affect other people around you. And I need you to know that that's happening. I'm not condemning you. I love you, and I want you to understand this. But you need to you need to know what the real consequences are. So I think that that's often a good a good place to to do it. But just to keep keep it real, and and keep it kind yeah. and unemotional um, as much as you can. Uh, we're down to just a, a minute or two here left, Father. But the other thing that I think is important to talk about for these remaining you know minute or so, uh, I might not be the right person to be in that role of admonishing the sinner. You know, if, if you're not the right one, how do we, how do we recognize that, I guess? And 
what do we do? Just keep that person in prayer then? I think if, if you're not the right one, you'll, you'll recognize it either because you can't have the conversation with them because you get too upset or, or you, you, you're clearly going to drive them away or you're simply afraid to have the conversation. Uh, mm. And if anything like that is happening, if you're, if you're too afraid to have the conversation, if you're getting too, too involved uh, and you're, you're not able to keep things calm and, and loving, then the first response has to be prayer. Yeah, to pray for them, to pray for the situation, to pray for guidance that the right person to speak to them would speak into their lives, or to, to pray that if, if it is to be you, if God does want you to be the one to call them back, that God would give you the words and God would take away the fear and the uh, and the anxiety that you have surrounding it, but really always to bring it to prayer. And that's actually good advice, even if you haven't yet had the conversation yeah, about sure, admonishing sure. the sinner. Pray, just pray. Always ask the Lord for guidance, prayer. and ask the Lord to bring them to conversion. <laughs> yes. Ask the Lord to soften their heart and to show them the way, and then go to confession and remember your own sinfulness. <laughs> Father Sam Kachuba, we have about twenty seconds. Could I ask you to offer our listeners a blessing as we conclude the hour? Sure. Heavenly Father, pour out your graces and blessings upon those who listen, that they may always know the love and the mercy that you extend to us in Christ, your Son. May Almighty God pour out his blessings upon you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Father Sam, for being with us. Thank you for listening, and want to encourage you to join us on Monday for The Inner Life. Father Sam Martin is going to be with us, and we'll be talking about, hey, yeah, last uh, couple weeks of Lent, that's okay. It's not too late. You can still make it a great Lent. You can still (laughs) prepare for Easter in a fantastic way. We'll have that conversation on Monday. Stay tuned. Mass is next here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.